Welcome to For Good Measure, an interview series celebrating diverse composers and other creative artists, sponsored by a grant from the California Arts Council. I'm Nanette McGinnis, Artistic Executive Director of Ensemble for These Times. In this week's episode, we continue our Da Capo Conversations, a mini-series where we'll be giving familiar segments a topical twist. Today we revisit Nicholas Lel Benavides and Erica Oba's perspectives on identity, culture, and music making. Here's what Nicholas Lel Benavides had to say. I really don't think I would be who I am um, if not for living in San Francisco for, you know, what, a decade or so. I There's something about, you know, like you read about so many artists, like, you know, I don't know why I'm drawing this example, but like Gertrude Stein going to Paris, you know, there's something about finding yourself in a place that's not you, um, something distilling about it. And I think, I don't think I would have appreciated being New Mexican so much, if not for slowly becoming homesick as I lived in this glorious city that I adored, but it wasn't really home. It was the closest thing I could get aside from New Mexico. Um, And, you know, grappling with what it meant to be me uh, and then I got a double shot of that when I moved to LA because suddenly I had no friend circles. Um, I had nothing else. And I moved to LA for my doctorate and I just arrived and I was walking the streets, a complete stranger, like really just nobody but myself. And LA, I love San Francisco, but LA in many ways is a much more multicultural city these days. Um, and seeing people just in the streets speaking Spanish, you know, going to markets uh, interacting with people that felt, to be honest, culturally more similar to New Mexico uh, than San Francisco did uh, was further distilling and refining and further shocked me into place. Uh, the opera Pepita was partially based on, very loosely based on um, me and, and my librettist, uh, the protagonist Camila. She's someone who grew up in a place that is not known in the opera, but where she speaks Spanish. Um, she's Latina. And you, you ascertain from the opera that she misses where she's from. She's a little homesick and she's been like hardcore pursuing her career. She's a lawyer in this case, but someone who went to a university, got a, a high education elsewhere. Uh, and this dog, Pepito, really sorry. My dog's actually my literal, do- literal dog's name is Pepito and he keeps coming to the door when I keep saying that. <laughs> but um, however, this dog Pepito sort of brings back her her uh, desire to reconnect with that sort of wakes her up and reminds her like, oh, this is where I come from. Um, no, matter how, no matter how fancy of a school I go to, I can't take that away. I can't ignore it. Here's what Erica Oba had to say. Yeah, I mean, my, I, my parents both immigrated from Japan. So I feel like culturally I grew up in a fairly Japanese household and I feel like that, you know, that's just who I am and intractable from who I am as a person. Um, and I think, um, yeah, I think consciously and unconsciously it, it, it does inform the work that I do. And some of it, you know, is in just like thematic content. And you can maybe see that sometimes even just like in like um, like titles and that kind of thing. Uh, but also like aesthetically, I do, I do think that, um, you know, that has informed (laughs) where I'm coming from. And, you know, I wasn't trained in any particular like traditional Japanese music traditions, but, um, you know, there are, uh, 
like different Japanese music traditions that are around me. So I feel like, you know, some of that has been absorbed. Um, my my mother for a while was studying Okinawa Sanshin music. That's the three string um, Okinawa like banjo. And I, you know, I love that music. And uh, there was a period of time when, you know, I was hearing quite a bit of it because my mom was doing it. And, you know, she was playing with local people. And um, it was a fabulous local Sanshin player who was leading these groups. And uh, I, I was so fascinated with that specific tradition. So I, I feel like for uh, Sanshin music, I've like definitely, you know, deliberately pulled like, uh, like not just musical content, but just like ideas about musical form and ways of like organizing music and ideas that I've tried to incorporate into some of my music. Um, and then I also used to play <laughs> briefly, I played like the traditional Japanese bamboo flute, the fue, with a local taiko group. <laughs> and uh, that that was also just super fun. And um and it was a it was like mostly older retired women who were just like super buff and you know <laughs> really fit going with these huge taiko drums and yeah <laughs> for for that tradition too i think i got a lot out of just seeing you know different ways of conceptualizing music and how they communicate and organize musical ideas is you know it's its own language and tradition that's different from you know kind of the more traditional Western music traditions that I went to school for. Um, so I feel like both of those things, just being in those spaces, I like absorb some things and tried to, um, you know, approach my music, uh, you know, from, from those angles too. It's like, oh, well, like if we're not coming at it from necessarily like notated music, how do people like learn these really complex long things by ear? And it's like, oh, that's how they do it. You know? So uh, yeah, I think those things have continued to influence how I think about music. And I've written a couple pieces where I was trying to kind of emulate um, the communal playing style. So it's, you know, it's uh, non-hierarchical. So it's not like you have a conductor and then you have to, but they can still have these like pretty complex large ensembles doing things. So I've written a couple pieces where I was like, okay, well, how can I model this to, you know, to varying degrees of success? I don't know that it's always successful, but it, it's been an interesting process and practice for me. So I'll probably keep experimenting with these things. Um, for the taiko groups, I mean, I think part of it is just that they train themselves to have incredibly good memories. <laughs> um, and they, they have, you know, these pretty complex rhythmic patterns and beat cycles that they'll just like uh, learn and then like internalize. And it's almost like dance, actually, because a lot of it's very physical, too, um, if you've ever seen taiko drums. So a lot of it's like choreographed. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of like choreography, too. And um, I was certainly never able to memorize things to the degree that they could. So I was always like translating what they were doing and like writing out. <laughs> notes for myself so that I could like follow the map but you know they would like go for like 20 minutes and they just like have it in their brains which I find very impressive <laughs> thank you for listening to four good measures to capo conversations and a special thank you to our guests for joining us today if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to our podcast by clicking on the subscribe button and support us by sharing it with your friends posting about it on social media, and leaving us a rating and a review. To learn more about E4TT, our concert season online and in the Bay Area, or to make a tax-deductible donation, 
please visit us at www.e4tt.org. This podcast is made possible in part by a grant from the California Arts Council and generous donors like you. Four Good Measures produced by Nanette McGinnis and Ensemble for These Times and designed by Brennan Stokes, with special thanks to co-producer and audio engineer Stephanie M. Newman. Remember to keep supporting equity in the arts and tune in next week for Good Measure.